Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Creative Control with Bish Kana. Why, hello there. It's a busy week for the show. I don't know if you've been able to tell already. There's only been one episode, but uh, there will be more episodes this week than I even anticipated. I, it could be a four-episode week. That's unusual. I'm sorry if you feel like there's a glut, but I think there's some good stuff. The Joel R.L. Phelps uh, episode that uh, came out this week has been receiving some nice uh, notices by people who are fans of Joel's and also people who are just moved by uh, the interview, so thanks for those. And, uh, yeah, I think there's other great interviews coming, I I hope. It's my sincere hope. This particular episode, I think, is a great one, because I'm speaking with Alden Penner, who's always a a very thoughtful and engaging speaker. I I like talking to Alden. I've I've had the opportunity to do it a few times. And he's got a brand new solo record that just came out February 4th. Uh, It's called Exegesis, prompting him to play some shows and... Uh, Toronto and in Ontario and Quebec. Uh, notably, he's playing the Wavelength Festival on Thursday, February 13th at the Silver Dollar, and then he's got a whole bunch of other shows. He describes them uh, in this uh, conversation, so I'll let him explain, because it's m- more intricate than I even thought. Um, so yeah, that's uh, part of the reason why we're speaking. You're going to hear a brand new song by Alden from this record, Exegesis, which is lovely and, and very interesting. And uh, also, if you're a fan of the band The Unicorns, some big Unicorns news on this episode. So stay tuned, or whatever. We're not on the radio. You understand. Just listen. Please? Okay. Thanks. Bye. Hey, this week's episode is brought to you by Pizza Trocadero. For my money, the best pizza you can eat in Guelph, Ontario. A proud, independent family business run by a punk rocker, Trocadero only uses a rich array of fresh ingredients cut by hand and homemade dough made daily, all baked to perfection inside of a stone oven. It's gourmet panzerotti, calzones, wings, salads, garlic bread, breadsticks, and oh man, the pizza. The pizza, personally... I like the gourmet Domateo with goat cheese, artichoke, roasted red pepper, mushrooms. I sub out the turkey breast for eggplant, but that's just me. Wash the whole thing down with a brio? Man, I am getting hungry just talking about this. Call Pizza Trocadero at 519-829-2444 
Visit them at 7 Municipal Street in Guelph and online at trocaderoguelph.ca. T-R-O-K-A-D-E-R-O-G-U-E-L-P-H dot C-A. That's Pizza Trocadero, a place of the good trade. Penner is a respected and idiosyncratic singer, songwriter, and musician based in Montreal. Penner was a key figure in the influential bands The Unicorns and Clues, and went on to make heartfelt, enigmatic, and questioning music in a project called Hidden Words. On February 11th, he quietly released a lovely new album under his own name. It's called Exegesis, and has prompted him to play a show in Toronto for the Wavelength Festival, and also dates in Montreal and Quebec City uh, as well, between February 13th. And 15th. Yeah, here now to discuss this further is Alden Penner. Uh, hi, Alden. How are you? Hi, Vish. I'm doing well. Um, just uh, just a little correction there. It was February 4th that I, I released that album, but that's okay. Oh, I'm I sorry. Think it's 11th, uh, but, I was going uh, by my emails. Perhaps I received it a week later? That's possible. <laughs> um, maybe there was some kind of eddy in the uh, internet that swept <laughs> your, your email You're, somewhere. You know what it is? I'm looking at the correspondence now. You sent it to me on February 4th. I responded February 10th, and for some reason just assumed the record was out February 11th. So I, it's really... Okay. The release date, as far as I'm concerned, was when I responded to your email. Right. <laughs> that, you should have a show just about that. It's like when... The, the albums are released when V hears them, and, uh, and that's the way it goes. But, I mean, you're right in the, in, as well that it doesn't really matter when, when it's released, and particularly with this, this album, I, I suppose, because it compiles a lot of, a lot of songs over the years that, uh, that don't bear any direct relationship to one another besides the fact that they've been brought together under this... Uh, uh, album, which is a compilation, which is basically what it is. Oh, okay, now see, I I don't have it's a digital release, and uh, I don't have uh, liner notes to pour over, and I don't know if I missed some more biographical information. Oh, that would, that's right, yeah. Would indicate that I I've, I tried to look through some of the emails you'd sent about it, but they seem fairly sparse. Just like here's a link, uh, you know, it's streaming here. Uh, I didn't realize that <laughs> it was a it was a compilation uh, per se. How far? Back to these well, songs. Well, I, I guess I, I'm using that terms uh, for my own purpose as well. It's it is an album, effectively. Uh, I'm I'm self-releasing it at the moment, just digitally. So that's why I haven't put um, a whole lot of uh, work into the art art uh, presentation side of it. But that will come over the next few months. And uh, um, I mean, there are some liner notes on the Bandcamp page oh, okay uh, other than that yeah it's just a collection of mp3s um but you know as i've been telling other people it's um 
it's songs that date from at least around 2005 up to the present time, if not older than that. I was actually talking to Nick from uh, Islands and Unicorns uh, recently, and one of the he reminded me that one of the songs was based on a kernel of an idea that he'd had back in when we were in high school, uh, which means that you know the. I guess the idea behind the song is uh, dates to about, you know, 99 or 2000 or something like that. Wow. Okay. Uh, that's interesting. Is this just the, is this sort of, as you call it, it's a compilation from your perspective. It's not really going to be, uh, it doesn't come across as a compilation for anyone else, but um, is there some reason that at this point in your life uh, you have chosen to kind of look back into your archives and, and put together a record out of some of that, that material? I suppose it's the same as you, where this is just when I've chosen to read the email, and that's that's the date I've fixed on it. <laughs> I have my own track of time. Right. Okay. It's not. It's not a. Doesn't necessarily indicate a particularly reflective moment in your in your in your life or your artistic life. Well, I mean, it does. It does mark a re-entry into. Uh, self-releasing and producing music that um, uh, you know that otherwise wouldn't happen. Um, I I have over the past couple of years been doing other projects that haven't allowed me to devote as much time to music. Um, so yeah, this does. I, I suppose you could say it is reflective, and and that that's something that we ought to or uh, integrate into our life all the time, you know, not as something that's very um, separate from the other things that we do, but it is somehow, uh, you know, and that that's what I'm trying to do with this is like, okay, I don't have to take five or ten years to, to bring something to fruition. I can sort of do it as I go along. And that's, again, the, well, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, I feel like part of the process must be kind of reevaluating when you're kind of going sifting through uh, past ideas, you you are in a sense excavating or reevaluating aspects of your own life. Uh, you know what I mean? And I don't. That sounds. Yeah. It sounds like a heavier uh, exercise than you probably plan to undertake or even willfully did. But it does seem to me that to actually go through that that process of like. All right, you know, there's all these ideas that span, you know, in at least one indica in one case you didn't realize it, but in one case, uh, 15 years ago, 14, 15 years ago, th there must be some, um, as I say, assessment of self-assessment going on, uh, in sifting through what works and what doesn't work in sort of your contemporary vision, within your contemporary vision. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean. Uh it was, it's definitely um, uh, allowed me to have a certain clarity about my personal evolution. Like a lot of the more recent songs are a lot simpler. <laughs> they don't have as many parts and, and dynamic shifts and things like that. Uh, they're definitely more meditative, I would say, mm -hmm. uh, less frantic. Um you know, not that that's a bad aspect of some of those other songs, but, I mean, yeah, one of the reflections is also just um, on on that stylistic evolution, but also, yeah, what 
what determines what makes makes it onto this album now and why do I feel it's important to include that? I mean, I suppose that it's sort of like remembering, like having a memory that you sort of color yourself and it's actually not really, memory is never really an accurate depiction of whatever reality, uh, uh, you know, gave birth to that that memory. Mm -hmm. And so I think a good deal of it is nevertheless through the filter of my present outlook and and present experiences and i mean you know the most most recent projects i've been doing with hidden hidden words and kind of doing more solo stuff but i mean you know some of the other songs do come from like we're being performed with clues and uh i don't know if we did perform any of those ones with unicorns but you know, sort of date from around that time or even beforehand. So they do bear that um, um, whatever characteristic that that time left on them. And uh, I mean, particularly mu- just musically speaking, too, the 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 more clues songs definitely sound like they could be clues. Yeah, totally. And that's what I'm wondering. Like when you say that in your kind of present state, you're writing simpler songs is kind of bringing these, I guess, in relatively speaking, more complicated songs, in bringing them back to light, is it kind of like a... Is it, is it, is it in a sense, kind of like saying to yourself, ah, you know, like... I st- or saying to the world, maybe, I still I still got the... I got it. I still got it. Not that not that the simple songs are any lesser than the, the, the as I say, relatively speaking, more complicated songs... But it does kind of suggest the kind of prove I'm proving something. Like I still have this aesthetic within me that that old way of doing things still speaks to me, and it's still something I'm capable of, even though I've gone this simpler route. I feel like maybe I'm getting hung up on the word simple in uh, <laughs> in delineating the the kind of song styles on this record. Um, well, um, I suppose that's true. I mean, I. I I think I was more concerned with doing justice to some song, so, some songs that I began and that never were recorded properly mm-hmm. and and was trying to do justice to their spirit too and with those you know like the second song on the record Louis 14 it, it did evolve uh beyond uh, what it was at that time lyrically as well and conceptually because um I mean, it's a much more dramatic and very, uh, uh, yeah, dynamically shifting kind of song in terms of its um, its emotional spaces. But it's it's meant to be theatrical and to be really in your face and kind of absurd and all of that. And so I think from the perspective of curating an album, it's sort of like... Um, you do what it takes for each character, you know, if, if each song is a different kind of personality or uh, has different requirements within its own logic, you just, you obey those parameters. And it's, uh, you know, I mean, we are always like everything that we've always been. Like we're still a child, we're still that child that we were. Yeah. Uh, except that we're in adult form now. So we contain all those things, and I don't feel that it's necessarily like I need to prove that, but that um, I'm just, uh, 
I, I mean, I suppose in a way, as a solo album, it is sort of like, here's what I do, here's what I've done, and here's what I may continue to do. Yeah, It yeah. could go in any direction, you know. Yeah. And that's part of my interest in music, too, is I don't really like static things all the time. Like, I mean, the mind is always thirsty for change. Uh, when Nick, uh, when you mentioned Nick Thorburn earlier, who you you were talking about how you, one of the songs dates back to your high school times. And when Nick was on the show uh, a few months ago, he was talking about the fact that he is not really a trained musician. He just took it up in school, I presume high school, uh, because he thought it was cool. Like he just thought it was a cool thing to try to to take up. Is that? Is your musical background any similar to that? Are you more uh, formally trained in any way? Oh, sorry. The, the underlying point of my 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 question there is that uh, he, he kind of suggested he just took it up. He didn't have any training. He just learned by doing it. Um, and I'm just curious, is that a similar experience? Was, was that a similar experience for you? Uh, it's it's a little bit of both. I I started much younger than, than Nick. Um, my parents got me... Uh, lessons in in violin and and recorder when I was very young like almost uh, you know five or six or something like that um, and I kind of skipped along to different instruments took piano lessons um, up to the age of eight or nine or something like that and then I I took up trumpet in in uh, in school band and so I did learn to read sheet music, and through through all those things, they kind of, even though I don't I don't really retain a lot of what I learned then, it, it was part of a, a formation of certain ideas. Um, then I, you know, I think the time that I started getting into writing my own music was was definitely in my early teens, uh, and when I switched to guitar. But it kind of goes back to a memory that I had of hear, hearing. Just an extract on a tape of um, of I Love Rock and Roll, uh, and just like hearing that distorted guitar was just like such a empowering moment for me. And I was just up until that time that I started playing guitar myself, I had never known how to obtain a sound like that. Right. And so when I finally did get an amp and an electric guitar, and I discovered that, it was just this amazing moment. And uh, and uh, I instantly forgot again how to do it. So I was like, "How do I get that distortion?" <laughs> um, but then, so so after then, I continued in school band, just playing bass and percussion, and just kind of switching around on a lot of instruments. My my teacher was was quite um, uh, was allowing me to be quite free about like what I was doing because she considered. Uh, considered me to be a, a professional, a so-called professional, and and I started playing with my geography teacher as well, who was a, an excellent jazz guitarist. He he's from England, and he uh, he played a kind of George Benson style kind of jazz guitar, mm -hmm. and we actually formed a a four piece, um, and we would play gigs outside of school and actually get paid for some of that, and so that. That brings me up to about the time I, I met Nick and started playing um, in different bands with him. And yeah, it's true. He was kind of more, he was a listener and someone with more of an art background, I would say. Right. And uh, so when he started, he was more like the singer and he was really into 
like Jane's Addiction and like um, like charismatic kind of front men sort of bands and um, and lots of different good music. He actually fed me a lot of interesting stuff that expanded my own uh, musical horizon. And then you know as we were playing together. I would I would teach him a lot of things too, and even into the unicorns is true. He was kind of, uh, you know, learning as as we went along, sort of thing. But I think that was sort of part of the charm of it too, is this kind of amateurish quality mixed with something more, you know. But yeah, which was my case too. Like even though I've taken all this training, I wouldn't say it's a formal program. Like I don't have Suzuki behind me, which would make me a very different musician that I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of it is self-training as well beyond the lessons that I took. I, t- I took several private guitar lessons, but then I think when I started writing myself, I really took it upon myself to develop my own style, which was kind of a mixture of, you know, I really liked Hendrix, and then I learned a bit of the fingerstyle guitar uh, of, like, Reverend Gary Davis and... and um, Elizabeth Cotton later on and sort of blended that in with more kind of uh, I guess a, one of the bands I really liked was Fugazi so like the kind of uh, you know rock kind of sound of that and got a bigger amp <laughs> and a better guitar and all that so right it sounds like based on the, the sort of list that you just uh, gave us that you, you kind of ended up uh, enjoying more intricate particularly in the realm of guitar intricate guitar players people who did sort of interesting things with layers and and phrasing and 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 uh, I, I don't know even just just chords. Like it sounds like you you were drawn to that kind of sound. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Just again, this. Um, I. I mean, I don't know if that has a precedent in in something else with me, but. Uh, I mean, that was kind of what I was surrounded by locally as well. The kind of guitar teachers that I had. Uh, I had the three kind of stereotypes of a guitar teacher. Like one was a, a Chilean kind of like flamenco uh, Latin style player. The other was a total jazz head. Um, and the other was like a rock kind of like you'd need to know your scales kind of like right. guy that was, you know. And those last two were really mathy about it, you know, like just this is really like a science. And Rodrigo, my... Uh, my Chilean guitar teacher was really, he was kind of like, here, I'll show you this chord sequence, and then I'll solo over top of it. <laughs> so our lessons would just be kind of like him playing the soloing while I learned these kind of really nice, um, like very rhythmical stuff. So I think rhythm was like a a, a big part of that, that early foundation. and then And then listening to kind of soloing over top, which I didn't really get into as much but I do like a lot of chord changes and modulation and stuff I suppose that comes a bit from I mean I love classical music too and and another guitarist I didn't mention but that I I really enjoyed a lot at that point was uh, Sid Barrett and uh, Piper at the Gates of Dawn right uh, which was a huge influence on me I think um, at 16 or 17 something like that Again, it's very interesting when you, when you mention these references. I I can all they seem I can see how they kind of come together to form the work that you've done. Like it kind of makes sense to me. Uh, everyone you've mentioned as a, a, a kind of part of aspects of your work. So that that's that's interesting to me. Now on the new 
record then if it is a, a slight uh compilation of of sounds from various points in your life are you primarily playing all of the instruments or does this also include uh, the various people you've collaborated with uh, over the years um no for the sake of simplicity and and just getting it completed i ended up playing all the all the instrumentation on it wow okay so you've beyond guitar you've you, I mean, you're you're a multi instrumentalist at this point. Yeah. Well, before guitar, I played bass, and uh, and I learned a bit of piano when I was younger. Um, and drums, I kind of started, I think, around the same time, or if not before, I started taking guitar lessons in in high school band. But that's sort of part of a, a percussion outfit. Oh, okay. Which was interesting because then you have to sort of. Uh, you learn uh, po um, polyrhythms, right, and how to interact in, on a on a passage with different musicians, um, uh, as well as you know the jazz outfit that I was playing in. I I mostly played either bass or drums in that sort of thing. So okay. that's definitely something I had a lot of experience in around the same time. And then my parents got me a drum kit as well, just because, and that's how I you know started getting into my first recordings actually which are uh, probably very similar to what I'm presenting now in that you know I played every instrument just because that's that's who is available to articulate <laughs> the idea right and, yeah I imagine there's a certain satisfaction uh, that you get from doing everything yourself um, uh, but I also when I'm I was listening to uh, when I when I hear the songs, like there's certain songs on this record that jump out at me. Um, I, I, for some reason, losing my head came to mind, and it just reminded me about what a kind of potent pop force you can be. And I, I guess I wonder if you miss being in a band dynamic, you know. And I and I I don't know what the configuration is necessarily for your upcoming shows. I understand that Laura, people know her as Laura Borealis. Uh, is it Laura? Is it Crapo? It's Crapo, yeah. So Laura Crapo, I understand, is playing drums with you, um, but I, I, yeah, I, my question is: Do you miss the band dynamic at all? Because you've been in some really amazing bands, and I think that's not something that it's something that you can easily take for granted sometimes. Like when you have chemistry with uh, people in a, in a band, and you've been in really great bands, and I wonder if you miss that at all. It's kind of like being in the X Men or the Avengers. You know, you're like you're part of this crew that's like. You know, each each individual has their own superpower, but when they come together, it's like really to fight a particular force <laughs> of evil that's greater than all of them. Right. Um, yeah, that's how I've always felt like being in a band, and, and that's really... Um, I mean, there's a great Reverend Gary Davis song about that, you know, I belong to the band, Hallelujah. And um, I mean... I think in some ways I do, and in some ways it's a really tough thing to keep together. Um, I think from the very start, I've always had the challenge for myself of, of always having a pretty clear vision of how I want songs to go, and and up to very minute details. Uh -huh. And so when it comes to collaborating and working in a band setting, like that can often seem like uh, dictatorial or you know like like kind of like you're not really open to collaboration and stuff and um, so I wanted to do something at this point where I was able to really like 
just lay into it and do everything that I thought I needed to do for the song treatment. And um, it's sort of the first time I've really taken control like that, and it feels pretty good, and it feels like I can be a lot clearer communication-wise with the musicians I am playing with. So the show I'm playing this week um, is going to feature Laura, and uh, interestingly, I'm playing with Sebastian Chow, uh, who who played in Islands? He's a violinist, and um, so he's a he's a friend of uh, of Laura's and and myself, and and so we've recruited him for these uh, these shows this week, and just seeing how it goes. So I'm I'm kind of I think I'm building things up to a point again where I could play in a band, but I need to I need to do this first as a uh, a means of self discovery or self-affirmation or something like that. Sure, I sure. Know. No, I, and I, I, can, I can totally appreciate that. The, the title exegesis is a, is a provocative one, I think. Uh, it's a term, from my understanding, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it's a term describing the interpretation of a text. And most often, in that case, the text is the, is the Bible, I believe. I think that's what I understand. Is that, is that right? Did I get that sort of right? Yeah, that's the standard kind of... Uh... Oxford definition. It has a bi- it has a biblical connotation, but it doesn't necessarily need to be one. It just happens to be. Is, is, is that part accurate? That's the part I'm foggy on. I would agree with you on an English context, but I just did an interview this week with um, hosts of a, a French radio show, mm-hmm. um, and they brought up this title as well. And you know they they were uh, the the host was actually doing a PhD in semiotics. Oh. And he was, you know, he was like, this is a very interesting word. It has many meanings, you know, and it's, uh, for him, it meant a beginning. Oh. Um, something like that. So there, there's many nuances, I think, to this particular word. Uh, I think in English, it probably has more of a um, bearing in, in um, uh, I forget, the, what's the term for religious uh, study like the kind of um, theology yeah theology or um, um, getting into interpretation of sacred texts oh okay right but I don't deny that that's part of my fabric either and that's that's why it's a great title for me is that this this is a this is part of my my background and the particular kind of route that I've been taking the last few years in my in my creative output. Um, so it lends itself on that level, but it's also it's also kind of a way of uh, um, kind of a just explaining, as I said in uh, in response to your last question, is about. I'm putting myself out there, and and this is just me, and I want to be able to explain it that way rather than, you know, I mean, again, all the benefits of being in awesome bands is great, and it's like this dynamic between a bunch of people, but this is just kind of like, uh, this is the me element of those, of those things for what it's worth, and then most most pertinently to, the, um, titling of this album is that. It came to me in a dream. Oh, okay. I was having a dream, and I was in an alleyway, <laughs> and someone just said the word exegesis, and it was just this, it's not the context that's so important, but just the power of that word 
in that particular context is that the it was something very heavy, obviously. Like it's a heavy word. Yeah. And um and the heaviness kind of brought as its outcome something very liberating. And that to me makes sense with what the word is trying to attempt in a biblical context is that it's trying to unpack something that maybe a lot of us have heavy associations with or that can be interpreted in many different ways. And, you know, so that's, that's for me, that's a, um, the background of that title. So is it in a, and again, I don't mean to read too much into the title as it might pertain to this work, uh, and, you know, I appreciate your context about where the title comes from and what it might connote for you, but having said what you've just said, is the title then potentially, does, does that lead one to think that this is an, in some kind of unpacking of yourself? I mean, this album? Because in, well, in a sense, it is. That's what it really is. It's a, it's, 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 it, it marks your trajectory. Uh, most definitely. I think every album is that. Every Every artistic uh, endeavor is uh, self-exploration in some in some way, mm. um, and I mean, you know, I, I don't need to go into it, but more specifically to my 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 personal life is my involvement in religion and uh, formal formally organized religion, and um, the difficulty in. The challenge in in trying to find your own voice in that often when there is a particular discourse that does not that is maybe striving to find a balance between the individual and like the community, but is not able to completely find it because there there's always been a kind of tension between community and individuals and institutions and things like that. So it's it's kind of a a striking off point where it's like okay, I mean, I can take up the space to, to voice my, my, my opinions on these things. And, and it's not even that specific. Like exegesis in a biblical sense would, would probably entail some very intellectual um, and would miss a lot of the mystical kind of emotional truths that are found in, in, uh, in sacred writing. Um, and that's where I think art comes in too, is that it's more able to not capture, but kind of delineate those those emotional and mystical moments that we feel when we read something very powerful. You know, at one point, it felt like you had some serious faith-based questions buzzing within you. You're kind of touching upon this now. Have you found some peace of mind within your attempts to bolster your faith? Um, I would say I don't have any any questions about that right now but I would I would say it's 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 a continual exploration and I think my particular challenge has again been in trying to find um, like my my particular purpose in in that or in that quest of obtaining faith like it's something that you can it's almost like you can lose it so easily but it's also gained a, almost by, I mean, it can be gained by sheer effort, and a lot of people put a lot of effort into that too. Mm -hmm. And I think that this this moment in my life is more of a, <clears throat> an acceptance of certain circumstances, and that 
the the way to obtaining that is wrought with a lot of difficulty. Um, I would say I'm maybe like less certain about about some things than I was maybe with the Hidden Words project, where we were really putting forward uh, the text as it is, and that there was no real commentary on that whatsoever. It was just kind of like this is what's there, and here's the melody that that we've chosen to go with it. Um, but I think when I explore my own personal self, which is ultimately what's most important around um, this side of religion, uh, I find that I have a lot more questioning going on and uh, a lot more problems with, uh, with other people, I suppose, in a religious context than I thought, you know. Hmm. I probably end up disagreeing with people a lot more than I give myself credit to. And I think the suppression of that was probably what kind of ultimately led to this album, which was just kind of like, okay, I don't have to entirely reject everything you're saying because I don't agree with you, but this is how I see it. So when you say the repression, the repression of this, of what, what are you referring to there when you say the repression of something, the repression of disagree, like do, were you repressing your disagreement with people? Like were you just not engaging them or? I don't think so. I mean, it's just that... Um, I, I mean, disagreement. I, it could mean just on a on a purely intellectual level, which doesn't really matter that much. I don't care for polemics, but uh, I just mean on a, I guess, agreeing on a certain course of action hmm. that that is assumed to be uh, accepted by everyone, and then you kind of like you're you're down the stream already with someone else's kind of idea of how things should go. I see. Uh, and then you're doing all this stuff that goes with it that you normally otherwise wouldn't do, and you're like, what if I become? So uh, it's not about disagreeing on points so much as as um, courses of action, I guess. You know, when well, it comes, to... huh. it's interesting. The more you speak of it, it just this this record is a really a, a really an assertion of yourself. Uh, it seems. Uh... Well, I mean, that I think that's been very important for me. Uh, and I, I won't get into it because I mean it's not it's not something I, I want to talk about publicly. But I have felt confronted and attacked very specifically as an individual uh, within certain contexts in the last year. And so I I feel like the only way to respond to that besides um, through writing is is music. And so. Uh, you know, yeah, when you're faced with a kind of situation where a whole group of people has suddenly kind of decided about you, like in a in a kind of negative way, um, it's uh, it's something where you you either cave into that and you you lose all self-esteem, or you have to kind of assert uh, assert your right to to exist and to um, to have a voice. I appreciate you not wanting to get too far into it, but uh, since you've made an allusion to it, I can't help but ask: like, w what community did you feel confronted by? Was it your musical community? Was it your your community in Montreal? I just am curious if you can. I suppose there there are different wings of it. Now that you mention musical community, I I don't think it's been a direct confrontation, but I think that there's been a lack of good faith, particularly. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. In Montreal, I think when it comes to doing something that's kind of out of the norm, even though there's a whole embracing of weird music or, you know, like everyone, everyone wants to be doing the next different thing, but I don't think there's a whole lot of room besides in religious communities for music that is questioning or exploring faith in some way or another. Everyone gets their guard up really quick around that. So I think that that attack was a soft one, but it was kind of expressed as as ultimately being ignored, you know. Um, I see. You feel that because w- with hidden words, you were exploring your 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 Baha'i faith, right? Yeah. And and you feel that that seems to have not only alienated some people, but uh, well, sorry, I, I get the impression that you're not even saying they were necessarily caustic; they were indifferent, which is its own kind of reaction. Like that, that's a way of of uh, marginalizing someone's ideas is to just yeah yeah ignore them. Okay. Well, that's, yeah. yeah. Hmm. All right. That's interesting. Yeah. So that's one aspect of it. Uh, I mean, the other side is within the religious context. Uh, there's also lack of room for getting uh, specific or, or more experimental in things. So it's kind of this, this, this place where the individual finds themselves between perhaps like a, um, a certain establishment even if it's on a local level of like independent music or whatever it is. I, I don't even have the words to describe this. This is why I'm a musician, but <laughs> between that and then between, um, you know, uh, institutionalized religion in some way and, and the representatives and the individuals involved in that. So there's, there's like, it's kind of, for me, this album is a vacillation between those two poles and being like, where do I find myself in this? Mm. And the answer is like, in neither, like here it is. Like you can never actually fit into either of the, like we're all ultimately outsiders and we can't fit in either of these perfectly. We have to be ourselves. Right. Uh, right. Either way. Like that's, that's the honest answer. And if you're not being honest in either of those settings, then you will marginalize yourself further from yourself. Huh. Well, I mean, this, as I say, this just kind of opens up the record to a whole new interpretation for me. And uh, I don't know, people listening will, will, will find that, uh, find those uh, 
access points as well, but I'm going to have to reevaluate just because, I mean, it's telling in, in itself that you've self-released this new record and it sounds to me that you're managing all of your musical affairs on your own, right? I mean, it, this, it just seems like this could not be more of a, an Alden Penner <laughs> uh, push. <laughs> like this is you doing everything yourself and relying on no one, except for Laura Crapo, who I understand sort of produced this record, right? Yeah. Yeah. She co-produced it and, uh, you know, had a big hand in, in, I mean, all that that entails, which yeah. is many things, uh, from the, you know, again, because it collects songs from outside of the, the term of our present relationship, it, it involved kind of like bringing some of that to light. And then also just up to the details of vocal takes and, and performances and things like that. As well as just morale, you know, like it was, it wasn't a hard, it wasn't an easy thing to do. Um, I mean, it never is, and that that's part of the fun of struggling through a record. But, but yeah, I mean, I think more than ever, artists are able to um, really do things themselves. I wouldn't say it's like I'm doing it on pr- principle, but I do appreciate that you point that out. That it's. Uh, I mean, there's the danger of getting so self-absorbed, but I don't think that's really happening because I'm doing it outwardly. Yeah, yeah. And I, th- yeah. I think that um, I feel a lot more um, well <clears throat> with where I am and in terms of, you know, being generous in sharing this outwardly. I think it would be a lot more selfish to really have not uh, not done anything about it at all. Um and then, yeah, the the role that Laura's played has been quite enormous. Uh, she's also um, a healer, like she does energy healing uh-huh. um, and uh, psychic work. So she's she's, uh, I think, in that role is very suited to being a producer as well, because often those elements of, um, uh, you know, when a band or someone goes into a studio. Uh, those sorts of things are are never really dealt with outwardly. In fact, it's weird to do so. But w- with Laura, I felt completely uh, at ease kind of doing that as we went along. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of inestimable, the, all the different things that she's been able to, to perform on this. She also sang on a couple songs. Um, so that's the only kind of elements that aren't, me in there. You mentioned you, you made a reference to your your relationship with Laura. So does that suggest? Uh, and I don't know if you were indicating that uh, you, you clearly have a collaborative and I suppose professional relationship. But do you have a personal relationship with Laura as well? Yeah. Okay. We are dating. You're yeah. dating. That's the term the kids use. Dating. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I would, I would say so. Okay. Yeah. So then that's that. That I can see now where your passion. Uh, for her role uh, has come to come into play because I I was just trying to suss that out. Okay, and and you mentioned the healing and, and uh, uh, did you say she was a psychic? Yeah. So this mystical realm is very significant to you and clearly to her. And uh, I mean that's telling in itself. I think that you're trying to find some peace of mind within that uh, within within that realm as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Um... I've known Laura for several years, uh, 
as a musician and uh, <clears throat> because her her record was introduced to me by Mark Lawson mm -hmm. uh, a number of years ago and I really liked it and uh, you know he explained to me a bit about what uh, what she did and and it was interesting but also kind of weird to me and so I can understand why people like maybe listening to my music and and having a certain opinion formed about um, mysticism or about religion or anything in that side of things can initially be afraid of it I guess I guess we're afraid of things that that may change us somehow yeah and, um, admittedly that's kind of how I felt about the work Laura was doing it was kind of mysterious to me and also uh, maybe slightly outside of what I deemed acceptable <laughs> in terms of but you know people are always going to do that and it sort of challenges us to to widen our our awareness of what people are able to do and the powers that we can draw on beyond physical ones and it's quite an amazing thing um, I mean and and since we've met or since we've been dating um, it's uh, I've really had a chance to discover a lot more interesting aspects of that that I ne never even thought possible you know like she uh, she went to um, the Philippines recently I guess during while I did most of the drums on the album I had about a 10-day stretch where no one was in the home at all so I got to do all the loud drumming stuff and um, she she went to the Philippines because um, she had uh, made an appointment with a uh, psychic surgeon there and this is something you can look up on the internet and it's pretty controversial hmm. um, but it basically involves um, surgery without any instruments just using hands uh, and they they are able psychic surgeons are able to extract tumors and and different impurities inside the body using some kind of technique where they they draw those um, dark elements or whatever is dysfunctional in the body to the surface and they pull it out and you see it and they throw it away yeah isn't this uh, something that was depicted in the Andy Kaufman biopic, uh, Man on the Moon. I, I feel like that's I... right. He he went to see this very same surgeon, June Labo, uh, sort of at the end of his uh, life. It was kind of too late for him, unfortunately. But it's most effective when um, when a disease or uh, a disease is caught in its early stages. So Andy Kaufman kind of went to him as a last resort, and he was able to extend his life considerably but it was already a little bit too late for him but in the film it's depicted as him discovering it to be a scam that uh, it's a trick and he, and he figures it out and that actually uh, well th that sounds like Andy Kaufman <laughs> more, more than anything but I think I think um, you know you have to kind of do research more more profoundly in the margins to, to look at something like this because the implications of it being more widespread are, are pretty significant you know it's like oh having having medical treatment without any sort of uh, medical institutional kind of apparatus is pretty amazing but he he currently sees you know thousands of people uh -huh. every year I mean and and within Asia too like uh, when Laura went there he was seeing about 
I think he saw about 300 Japanese uh, who came in one day. Um, so there's obviously some something that he does that that is effective. And I mean, he's in his 80s now. I think he's been doing this since the 70s when he was a teenager. And I think if it was a scam, you know, it would be pretty apparent that he wouldn't be able to continue. Right. Um, and yet there there is every indication that it should be exposed and investigated more um, for the, the fascinating thing that it is. And, and again, I would refer people to the videos that, I mean, it's hard to believe in until you've actually met someone who's actually done it and they show you the video of themselves there and they're, they're relating their experience of like, yeah, I was sitting there on the table and he like took this out and there's no pain, there's no scar. It's just he prays to Jesus Christ to give him the power through his hands to to heal this person. Huh. And it sounds wild, admittedly. I I I don't know if uh, um you know where I stand on it still, but I can't deny that that happened and that that I watched these videos and there's no trickery going on, you know. So Laura Laura took these videos. She shot these videos. Yeah, she brought her camera. She's a professional photographer. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she had her, uh, her driver or her companion film these, these surgery sessions that last about 10 minutes, um, where, again, it looks like he's sort of massaging the surface of the skin, and then he pulls out this fleshy uh, mass and throws it in the garbage, you know. Right. Okay. And so you you believe you believe this to be true. I do, yeah. All right. No, I mean again, it's uh it's I don't think Andy Kaufman is is the should should be the measure for this at all. I think he was probably mad because he you know, he only got to dealing with his illness later on when uh-huh. it was too late. And again, I think with any illness, you have to start treatment early. Right. Or else it's nothing uh, short of a miracle again will will work right um, but this this sort of thing I think also needs to be complemented by other dietary it's not denying any other kind of aspects in in overall health um, but I do believe that there are techniques like this in other societies that are outside of the sphere of Western medicine yeah. uh, that are effective and that have been going on for centuries. And the more that the West expands its uh, influence, and I think it's it's sort of uh, it's sort of uh, doubtful glance on anything non-scientific, that we are going to lose those people that that are able to draw on spiritual power right. to to heal. Well, I mean, I appreciate that you you feel that way, and uh, and I I can see. How it kind of fits in with your 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 sort of general faith, I suppose, in 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 people. Because I mean, ultimately, what we're talking about is when we talk about faith, there's a faith in oneself, there's a faith in some higher power. But you're also, in a sense, reflect. It also reflects a faith in in humanity. Yeah, and I mean, just even as a practice of of like getting along well with people, it really helps to to look at someone and say. I believe that you could do all these things, these amazing things, 
beyond what you are now, no matter what you are now. It's like, and it's not to say like, you know, I mean, that could, that could be a cynical perspective where you're like really, but, but I think it's a, I think it's a really helpful and positive thing in a way to kind of look beyond our present, our present selves and what we're, what our capacities are. Right. No, um, as I say, it's, it's really, it's really, really interesting. I want to ask you about, uh, uh, more practical matters, I suppose, uh, in terms of what's next for you. You only have these three dates uh, listed uh, thus far. Do you have more touring in mind? Uh, what What are the three dates again? There's uh, this I, week. I, I'm aware of Toronto, Montreal, and Quebec City based on your Facebook page. Yeah, that's right. Um, I do have more shows coming up, actually. Uh, I should put some more up there, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, glad I, I'm glad I was able to spur you into action here. Um, yeah, we all need that. Uh, I, um, I have a bunch more, uh, Montreal dates. I have, I have two shows this Friday, actually. One is, uh, the record launch and another one is happening at Brasserie Beaubien, which is, um, a local dive bar. Okay. And that's, that's with, um, Coach Longlegs, a New Brunswick band fronted by Dave Barclay. I don't know if you know Dave Barclay. I know the name, I think. Who is Dave Barkley? Uh, he's a musician from Victoria originally. He was he was um, in Montreal for a while. He had a band called Parka Three. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, anyways, he's a he's a, an old friend of mine. Um, and I'm playing at South by Southwest um, in in March. And uh, I'm working on a date in New York City at the moment. Um, but I haven't gotten that confirmed. Um, and yeah, there's a, another, we're playing with hidden cameras in Montreal on the 19th of February. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I'm sort of, again, booking as I go along. Right. And, and that's, uh, that'll come together more, more um, fully, I think, in, in March and April and, and beyond that. I'm looking ahead to the fall too, probably doing some stuff in Europe um, and doing more more of a proper uh, North American sort of tour, I guess, either in the spring or summer. Again, depending on how well I can get this organized myself, but I am kind of looking for some assistance on that because that's no small task yeah. to organize. And, and are you ultimately hoping that uh, someone else gets behind the record uh, to give it a physical release of some kind, or are you are you kind of resigned? No, I, I, uh, I am looking for that. I'm not really going to jump the gun on it. That's why I'm just kind of taking things as I go, and I feel fairly confident that that something will come up um, I mean, there's already been some interest already, but I, I kind of made a, a commitment to not make any decisions until after I play South by Southwest. I mean, yeah. I'm kind of taking that festival at face value for this particular show is that it's there to allow bands and industry people to network and, um, you know that's what that's what I'm going to do. So I'm I'm kind of going to explore the options while there, and then, you know, think about it for a bit, and then and then um, and then make a decision probably 
towards the end of March. Okay. And then, you know, the either way, uh, there will be some kind of physical release, which will allow for the occasion to, to have more tour dates and things like that. So for now, it's just kind of like what I'm picking up here and there. And I think I'll be playing a North by Northeast showcase um, for a Montreal promoter. Uh, okay, but in, in Toronto in, in June, probably. That would be in June, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay cool. So is am I right that it's the 10th anniversary year for the Unicorns? There's some celebration happening this year, right? Well, it's the 10th anniversary of us breaking up, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> is that right? Is I guess that would be true, right? Okay, so that's kind of that that is significant in its own self and uh at least one member of the Unicorns has intimated that there might be renewed activity at some point soon. Can you deny or verify this? Um, I can verify that. Yeah, I'm, I've been aware of that. Uh, I can't really get specific right now because there are no, no specifics. Right. But I think we might arrange a handful of shows. We're definitely uh, talking about at least just playing together and see, seeing what happens and then um, yeah, we'll, we'll probably do some shows in the major kind of cities that that we've played in. Probably Toronto, Montreal, New right. York, L.A., Vancouver sort of thing. Um, you know, whatever's feasible. And, and, I, and it being conditional on it being fun uh, for us to do, I guess. Uh, now, would that be... Uh... Because it is this marker, this tenth anniversary. Are you hoping is a, is this a, is a plan in place to try to do that this year? Yeah, okay. that'll happen this year. Okay. With, by by the fall, I mean we're aiming to do something by the fall. Yeah. Well, that's pretty. This, that's pretty cool. Is there going to be like a reissue of the uh, of the of the, uh, the 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 album itself? Uh, who will cut our hair when I, I, when we're gone? That's what we've been talking about. I mean, we just. Um, we just recently obtained the master rights for that, so we're technically administering it, even though we've kind of let it... Um, I mean, we, we haven't been running it uh, as a record label so far, but we had we had talked about remastering and including some other uh, recordings that never made it out. Right. Um, but all of that requires another level of organization. I think the important thing right now uh, is is the um, that we might play some shows, and and also maybe even just re, re record some new material. Oh wow! While we're at it, um, it's getting more. I mean, it's getting more and more ambitious. It sounds like. <laughs> well, these are these are all maybes again. Right. Know? Right. Which I guess have been thrown out there a lot, but I guess you, you know, good practice is that you do what what you say. <laughs> so is I it, guess I am. I'm getting myself into some kind of contractual uh, <laughs> situation. <laughs> well, I appreciate you, uh, you know, speaking about it. But are, are you? Is it contingent upon any one particular person's schedule? I know you're all very busy. Uh, you have just started to get yourself uh, at least busy in the public eye, which which doesn't really reveal how busy you've been in the background, uh, preparing to be uh, busy in the public eye. But, um, you know, Nick I is... I think it's kind of been good preparation for this possibility, actually. I mean, I 
you know, I've been aware of this year having special significance. You know, the Unicorns had a song called The Unicorns 2014, which was sort of, you know, an ironic vision given the reality of our longevity mm-hmm. um, that we wrote back in the early 2000s. Um, but yeah, it's it's sort of, at the moment, I think Nick and I have been speaking about it, uh, just about the scheduling side of things. Um, it's kind of hard to do. It's it's really hard to do, again, yeah, for, for I guess, individuals who are, planning different tours and playing in different projects and things like that. But we are, we are getting, trying to get more specific about the month of April being a a possibly good one to get together and at least jam again, you know? Yeah. I mean, the main thing about this is it's my relationship with, with Nick who I met in high school and we had a very sincere and, and, and nice kind of musically based friendship that, unfortunately got torn apart by uh, music industry circumstances and, you know, competing kind of attitudes about how things should be done. And I think that that's really a minor thing when it comes down to the issue of renewing a friendship. And and that's why I feel good about this particular endeavor is that it's not really a cash grab or based on any sort of nostalgia yeah. uh, coming from those who have been calling for it for a long time. Uh, but it's really, it feels like a point in my life at least where uh, it'd be nice to, to, to honor that that friendship. And it's never too late to do that sort of thing, even though it, you know, it may feel that way when, when you, as you get older. But um, so, uh, yeah, at, at the moment, I, I guess it just, it's just someone has to make the call about, you know, okay, this time, and this place, how are we going to do it? Uh, right. Let's. And, and it does seem like everyone's on board. If 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 it, yeah. if it's logistically possible, everyone's kind of into the idea. I mean, we haven't spoken as a group, but individually, the conversations we've had, everyone's been positive about it. We had a little bit more concrete kind of stuff happening last late summer. Because, uh, you know, I, we'd been talking about even doing something last year because that was the anniversary of the album release. Yeah. But that just never happened. Um, uh, this year, I think it has to happen, and we have to do whatever whatever it takes to make it happen. <laughs> um, well, it's, it, it's the year of the unicorn. I don't know. I mean, it's the year of many things. I, I, I feel good to be kind of like getting involved in music again and being out there but um but yeah so the 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 more concrete conversations from last year kind of dissolved but i think if we go at it again it's it's harder to get something together like this as a second go rather than the momentum that we created over five years you know after creating the group and then you know, uh, there's a, there's a lot more ambition that existed back then than there does now, I suppose. And, right. Um, uh, but but yeah, I think as a marker of of the the album and and the band and the friendship, um, it's uh, is is kind of a nice thing to do, and uh, and hopefully you know enough people will be on board to to make it 
feasible um, to do. Well, it's pretty. It's 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 really exciting to hear this, and uh, it's exciting to hear you in such a great place. Uh, I got to say, as a fan of your work, uh, it's just nice to hear you, because I think for some of us there was some when you kind of hung back a little. There was some, well, I guess curiosity, if not concern, just wondering. You know, the clues kind of ended in a. It seemed an abrupt fashion, and then hidden words took some of us by surprise in some ways, and. Uh, and it's just nice to hear you in, in speaking in this in such a positive uh, positive way, I suppose. Well, thanks. Yeah. I want to let people know, once again, Alden Penner's new album is called Exegesis, and he's playing at the Silver Dollar in Toronto for the Wavelength Festival on Thursday, February 13th, Montreal's Le Cajabi on Friday, February 14th, and Le Pantum in uh, Quebec City on February 15th. You mentioned you have a couple of shows. Uh on Friday the 14th, is that right? Yeah, the other venue we're playing, I guess, later that night is uh, uh, Brasserie Beaubien. Right. Uh, yeah, which is, uh, I mean, the, it's on Beaubien, which is a street mm-hmm. not <laughs> far from Le Cajibi. So if you want to go to both shows, maybe we can make a deal or something. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, um, yeah, so th- that's the two shows on Friday, Valentine's special. Uh, back to back. Yeah, and then you've got the you're playing a hidden camera show on the nineteenth. Uh, did you say of February? Yeah, February nineteenth. Right. Um, and then yeah, there's another Montreal show March 9th at uh, La Plante, um, and a couple of shows at least at South by Southwest uh, happening between March thirteenth. I think that's the first show. And then March, uh, the Friday, March 4th, I guess that would be 14th, I think. Right. I don't know exactly what day, but Maggie Mays, we're playing at Maggie Mays, and then um, the Velveeta Room uh, for the official South by Southwest showcase, I think uh, with the, with the Pop Montreal kind of um, logo on top. Right. The top stage. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, there's lots of stuff going on. It's great. I guess for more information, people can visit Alden Penner's, your, your, your band camp page. Is that the best place to go? I don't know. That doesn't really uh, that doesn't really provide any dates, I suppose. But right. Maybe I could put them up there. Uh, I suppose Facebook, the liking the Facebook page would would be the... I mean, I guess you didn't find all those dates, so that's probably a bad thing. Well, when I went to the, I went to the, uh, I went to something on Facebook. I think you included a Facebook link or something in one of your emails, so I went to it, and that's all I saw. But I mean, you can. It might have been a, an event, like I think it was an oh. event page detailing oh. these three shows this month. But other ones have been added since then. Okay. And I, I just have to update that. So I think going to Facebook and liking. Alden Penner, the musician, um, <laughs> would uh, would be the the best thing to do because um, that way you know you're kind of plugged into any updates, uh, which I just post there regularly. I mostly just kind of put things up there without screening them at all. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that, and uh, I, I I may have uh, I think by the time people hear us speaking you'll have updated everything and everything will be fine. All exactly. The, all yeah. the info will be there. Okay, well, yeah. uh, Alden, is, is it possible for us to play a song from Exegesis right now for people to hear? 
Sure. You mean you want me to perform it over the? Well, you could. You could do. Are you? Do you have the means to do that? I was just going to suggest we play a song from the record. But if you feel probably like, probably sound better. <laughs> probably sound better to do that. <laughs> I would love to have an exclusive uh, G Google Hangout version of one of these songs. But I think uh, for the benefit of everyone interested in hearing something from the record, maybe we should go that route. And it's sure. up. It's totally up to you. It's up to me uh, which route. Yeah, let's go with the the recording because I put a lot of work into that. <laughs> um, and uh, you mean it's up to me which song sure. as well? Sure, sure. Um, well, we talked about a bunch of a bunch of different songs here. Yeah, we did. Uh, let's see. I think it's up to you as the host. I mean, I don't know why I should choose it. It's hard to choose, you know. It's kind of like asking a parent, like, which is their favorite child, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I, I always ask people this question because it, it offers some insight into either a mood they're in at the moment or potentially where they'd like to lead people in terms of introducing them to the, the work, you know. Um, well, let's go with We Seek because that's that's kind of that encapsulates a bit of our conversation okay it's the second the last song yeah um and it's um i don't know i think that was the last one i was practicing yesterday so it's just kind of echoing in my head <laughs> <laughs> all right that sounds so fair why not hear it again <laughs> <laughs> but i i kind of like the production on that one it's kind of a it's kind of a mysterious sounding song like it could be you know the theme to uh some kind of danger danger film or um uh sci-fi and um but it's you know it's like it's sort of part of that half of the album that's more kind of mellow mm -hmm. kind of shadowy kind of stuff but so I'll go with that but there'll be there'll be others you can listen to that are different too <laughs> <laughs> there's uh what are there there are 11 songs on this record that people can choose from and i just made alden yeah. pick one and that's what we're going to hear this is we seek alden always a, a great pleasure to speak with you and i appreciate Likewise, uh, vish. I, I really enjoy talking to you so i thank you for your time thank you vish yeah It's 
Hey, thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter at Vish Creative, V-I-S-H-K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. And you can listen to that online at cfru.ca or if you're in the KW region at 93.3 FM in Guelph. You can also sign up for the weekly mailing list for the podcast and the, and the show at vishkana.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I believe that is everything I wanted to tell you. Thank you once again. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. <laughs> 